Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 32. We're going to pick off, pick up where we left off last time and we'll overlap just a little bit here. Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to start reading from, uh, from verse 11. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. So remember, Jacob is, is uh, just coming back into the land after 20 years. His brother hears that he's come into the land, is coming after him with 400 men. And this is from a, a, a tribe of people that lives by the sword. So they're, they're a scary bunch of guys, 400 of them. And he has no real protection other than, you know, his, his uh, shepherd servants. But they're, they're not, you know, shepherds are tough folks, but they're not like guys who live by the sword. And he prays very specifically to the Lord. This is the reason I'm overlapping on verse 11 is because I want you to see it was very specific. If you have worries, pray very specifically. And that's what he did. And, and in verse 12, for, for you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. And he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where, do you, where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and those who followed the droves, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease with a present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the, the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Then he arose that night and he took two wives and his maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and they, they, they sent across whatever they had. Okay, so that's, that's where we'll stop for now. And so what happened is, is uh, he chose 580 animals. It's very specific. He didn't just say, oh, just take, take those animals over there and send them. It was really specific gift that he sent to his brother. He is trying to appease his brother with a gift. And there is nothing wrong with this. Esau was trying to appease his brother. You try to appease somebody with a gift. Just give it a try. Don't just say, well, it, it won't help anyway. This person doesn't like me. Try. We are obliged, as believers, the calling upon us is greater than the calling upon people of the world. We are the ones who should be reaching out. We are the ones who should be reaching out and trying to appease. And he's trying to appease his brother with this gift. And he's coming in this 
in this mode of submission. He says, this is from your servant, Jacob, to, to my Lord Esau. And remember, we had looked at this last time, twice in, uh, chapter, in chapter 27, it was said that Jacob will rule over you. Jacob will be your master. But he took the lower position, even though he was the one to rule over, ultimately, he took the lower position. This is really a good lesson for us as believers. We take the lower position. This is what Jesus did. He said, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You may say, well, you know, I'm not going to make my play, my, my, myself a doormat for them. Uh, well, Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Much more than just a doormat, he gave his life. Jesus did. Why should we think ourselves better than Jesus? We take the lower position. And he appealed to them and tried to appease them with a gift. And this is what I've, I've told you before and I've told many people uh, when, they, when they've said that they're having trouble at work. This is what I'll tell you. You befriend your boss. You find out what your boss likes and buy them a gift. You buy them a gift. And uh, uh, with Amazon, it's really easy because you can, you know, you don't have to go to some, you know, crazy shop to find a special gift. You find out the types of things that they like. You order it. You get that. You wrap it nicely and you bring it to them as a gift. And see if it works. It worked in this case. He came with gifts. He came bearing gifts. And if, you, if, if there's an offense between people, try giving a gift. Try taking the lower position. That's what this man did. He took the lower position and he brought a gift. You do these sorts of things. Like the, the one young lady, she said that her, her bosses are always, you know, the, the, you know these, uh, these guys, you know, these Texan guys, they're always talking about guns and hunting and stuff. And, and uh, I don't feel I'm liked at all. I said, okay, well, fine. And so... I told her to buy the, 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 uh, the hunting magazines and these sort of things and, and give it to them. And she did. And she said, they were just amazed. And, uh, um, and if you want to get a man a gift, I'll tell you, every man likes, likes a pocket knife or, you know, or a knife you can clip on, on the side of their belt. Or, I, I mean, it doesn't matter how many screwdrivers they have. They like, they like tools. I mean, men just like tools. So, so if, if you have trouble relating, it's really simple. You can just buy that and, and just give it to them as a gift. A man will always like tools. If you, buy them, if you buy them socks or something, they may or may not like it. But they'll always like tools. And so it, 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 in some ways, it's really easy to buy a gift for a man. And you do this and you can, you can build friendships. That's exactly what was demonstrated here. And so now in verse 22... Now he arose that same night and he took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and he set across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. Okay, so here's the Jabbok River. So here's the, here's the Jabbok River right here. He had, he had been up in Paddan Aram, which is near Damascus. He had come all the way down. He had fled from Laban. It was in these mountains that Laban caught up with him. He had that big confrontation with Laban, and they made a peace treaty between them. And then he, he then uh, uh, this is down in Seir, Seir, uh, Edom. This is the area of Edom and Seir. This is where where um, 
where Esau was. Esau hears he's there. He, he actually sends down some people to meet him. He hears about him. He's on his way up to meet him here. And it's in, at this Jabbok River. He goes across the Jabbok River, leaves his family, and then crosses back over this river. You say, how does he cross the river? These rivers are not like the Mississippi. Even the Jordan, by American standards, is a brook. Really, it, unless it's the rainy season and you have all this rain coming off the mountains, it, it's, it's nothing special. And uh, this little thing, uh, you know, it's like a little brook. And, and uh, so now he's alone on that mountain. One day we were, we were up on the mountain, uh, um, up on, on one of these mountains overlooking by Mount Carmel. And, and uh, I had read in the Bible about the Kishon River was down at the base of that mountain. I was, and I said to the guy who was with me, I said, where's the Kishon River? The Kishon River is supposed to be. He says, it's right down there. I said, I don't see a river. He says, it's down there. And I'm like, like this wide of a, of a thing. That's the mighty Kishon River. <laughs> I mean, so by American or Canadian standards, these, these are not great rivers. Uh, so anyway, he, he, he crosses this Jabbok, but that's where he was. And uh, uh, so, so um, he goes across and it says in verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. So he went back to the north side and he's left alone. It says Jacob was left alone. So he got alone. And now look what happens when he's left alone. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose up, uh, rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Okay, so it says in verse 24, Jacob was alone, but he wasn't alone for long, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This, this is like, why don't you give us some more detail? You know, was, was Jacob on his knees praying and a man just comes and jumps him from behind? We have no idea how it started. You know, people don't just walk up and they, you just start wrestling with them normally. How did it start? We have no idea. We are left totally clueless. Now, the Bible tells us everything we need to know. But don't you ever wonder, what, what's the backstory here? I mean, did the guy just walk up and say, let's wrestle? I mean, how did this thing start? So we have no idea how it started, but they're in a wrestling match. Now, I've played a bunch of sports in my life, none of them well, but the hardest is when I was on a wrestling team. That is the sport I think you have to have the most stamina. I boxed for a long time when I was younger. You have to have stamina, but not like when you're wrestling. 
When you're boxing, you can, you can pull back a little bit and catch your breath a little bit. When you're wrestling, you have no chance. If you let up at all, you get pinned. You, you, can't, you can't let up at all. And so these guys are really going at it, and they're wrestling, and it doesn't tell us how many hours they're wrestling for, but it says that, that uh, in verse 25, now who is he wrestling? That's a big question. If you speak to a Jew, they'll t- say about c- certain angels he's wrestling, with, he's wrestling with. Most Christian authors say that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is God himself come in the flesh. And this is, this is uh, uh, a pre-incarnate Christ, who's, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ who's come. And we know that, that this is because it says in verse 30, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been preserved. I've seen God face to face. And that's why most believers will say, yeah, this is, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. He's wrestling with him. And you say, well, couldn't Jesus have beat him? Oh, yeah, the answer is yes, like in a heartbeat. Easy. But, you know, when my girls were little, I used to come home from the lab. Because so, I, was, I was a student when my first daughter was born. I was a postdoc when we had my second daughter. And I would come home from the lab. And I remember as a postdoc, I'd come home and I'd just lay on the ground, and my girls would jump on me. And we would wrestle, and we had this thing every It's like, couldn't you have beat them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I let them beat me. I let them sit on me, and I'm like, oh, oh, mommy, mommy, help me, help me. And, and, uh, and so, so this is how we would wrestle. This was, this was like our closest time together. When you wrestle with somebody, you're all over them. And, and it's this, this extreme touch that you have when you're wrestling. And this is what he does. You see the closeness of God with man, the closeness of God with his children. It's enormous. The kindness of God to wrestle with him. You know, if you really love somebody, you wrestle with them. You know, you, you wrestle with your kids because you really love them. When I was growing up, we had, we had this terrific uncle because he was like eight years younger than my mother. So, so, uh, um, so he was... He was a fairly young guy as we were growing up, and uh, uh, because my, you know, my mother started having children when she was like, I don't know, 18 or 19, which was not unusual in those days. But but um, uh, so he was he was fairly young when we were growing up, and we loved to wrestle with our uncle, and uh, it's a time of closeness, and so you see the closeness that he that God wants to have with human beings. If there's a distance between us and God, it's not God's problem. It's not God's problem. It, and and uh, um, uh, God is there. He will, he will have this closeness and he's wrestling with him. And then it says, when he saw he had not prevailed against him, he touched him in the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he was wrestling with him. So Jacob wouldn't let him go. I mean, so he just touch, just touch a boom. The, the thigh, it becomes dislocated. And so... You, you know, I, I would act as if I couldn't beat up my girls, but I could always get them to move because I would just, you, you know, tickle their, 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 their thigh. You know, I just, just start tickling them and they, you know, they couldn't catch their breath and they'd jump off. And, uh, or if Shireen would call us for dinner, I'd just get up, pick them up and carry them to the table. And so they knew that, that we were just having fun. There was this closeness through wrestling. And that's what they're doing. You see this closeness that God has with people. And so then he touches Jacob's thigh. And then he, in verse 26, then he said, 
Let me go for the dawn is breaking. So here is God come in the flesh. And if you don't want to accept that it's God, fine. It's an angel. All right. It's some creature here, some being here. And he says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I mean, any other time in the Bible when God says do something, you don't do it. It's like you die. But in this experience, he says, let me go. And Jacob says, nope, I'm not going to do this. This is like outright disobedience to God. Can you imagine God saying, don't do that? And he says, no, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. You know, you gotta, you, you, you do something for me, quid pro quo. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. I'll let you go if you bless me. And God doesn't strike him dead. It's amazing. This is amazing. You know, there, there's other instances. There's a time in Deuteronomy chapter 9 where, where God says he's going to destroy Israel and, and uh, because of their disobedience. And Moses intercedes and he prays, oh, Lord, please, by your gracious hand, don't do that. And then God, God relents and says, OK, I won't do it. And uh, uh, so there's times when God was set to do something and people interceded. But this is like a direct command. Let me go. And he says, no. And God says, OK. So obviously there's a relationship here. There's such a relationship when you're wrestling with your children, I mean, they can grab you around your neck and, and it's okay. It's okay. They're your children. There's a friendship here. There's a fellowship with God that is so unusual. There is no other faith like this. It's not God afar off. It's not, you know, God the master and we, like nobody's, like ants in his sight. God has this amazing fellowship for us. And remember, what we have in Christ is a hundred times better than what Jacob had. What we have is we have a Lord that has given himself for us, that is a faithful high priest that says, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. He called us friends, he called us brothers, and he calls us our, his, his specific children. I mean, the way that God has come to us in Jesus Christ, Jesus is the best, the best, the best. He is so good to us. Such fellowship he has with us. I invite you to know Jesus. Many of you may, may already know him, but I invite you to really know him. To really know him. So that you can say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I mean, I see in this day and age, everybody is so neurotic about this, this virus. And I understand it. There's lots of people getting sick. But I trust my Jesus. I trust him with my family. I trust him with my life. I trust my Jesus. He is so good. It says, if he has given us his only son, will he not give us all things with him? I trust him. He is so good. The fellowship we have with God. He says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? Like, you don't know my name? I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just his friendship. He says, what's your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Jacob means to grab the supplanter or to grab one by the heel. I mean, so he's fulfilling his name. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. And, uh, and so he's just holding on to him. 
And, and uh, uh, you know, there, there was another instance in, in uh, Matthew chapter 15 in the New Testament when Jesus, when Jesus had, had uh, risen from, from the dead. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus had just risen from the dead and Mary was clinging to him. Mary was just clinging to him when she saw him rise from the dead. And uh, uh, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But I go to my but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So so she he says to Mary, stop clinging to me. I mean, she's just holding on to him. She's just because he's alive. Now, now, I don't know what would have happened if he said, stop clinging to me. And she said, no, I'm not going to stop clinging to you. I already lost you once. You died. I'm not going to let you go. I don't know what he would have said. I, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have gone. <laughs> he wouldn't have, I mean, he loved Mary. You know, he might have just you know, gently taken her hands off and said, i, I got to go now. And, and, uh, uh, but you see the kindness. She wasn't just touching him. She was clinging to Jesus. Jesus allows us to cling to him. He says, what's your name? He says, my name is Jacob. He says, okay, from now on, I'm, you're not going to be named Jacob, but you're going to be named Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Here is God himself saying, you get a big reward because you have really striven with God. You have really prayed this thing through. There is great blessing in pursuing and pursuing and pursuing God and not letting go of a situation. God doesn't say, oh, stop bothering me. I mean, God... He takes note of this sort of thing. We have examples of that in the New Testament. In, in Luke chapter 18, in Luke chapter 18, um, he tells a story about this and he even uses an analogy of an unrighteous judge and makes an analogy of an unrighteous judge to himself, to God himself. He makes an analogy. So remember, analogies have points of similarity. It's not all points of similarity, or else it wouldn't be an analogy. It would be the same. An analogy means that there's points of similarity. So in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God, nor do I respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And he will delay, and will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So he relates this to a show of faith. When we take hold of something and keep bringing it before the Lord, you say, well, I prayed. Well, how many times? I prayed yesterday and I don't have it. How about praying today and tomorrow and like every day for a year and tell me what happens? You see, God uses this analogy. Jesus uses this very analogy to relate to himself. 
how we're supposed to cry out to God. You see this guy said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And he gave him this name Israel. He says, because you've learned how to strive with God and you've learned how to strive with men. I don't want to go past this without talking about the striving with men. I have seen successful people in life. None of the successful people I know just fell into this success. I don't consider those who just inherit a ton of money as successful. I've seen people really become successful. I've seen a lot of scientists really become successful. And the amazing thing about the successful scientists is they have this tenacity about them that they just don't let go. They just keep pursuing this and pursuing this and burning up one graduate student after another to drive this project forward. They just do this. And then they get these big breakthroughs. You do this because people will always come to you. I've many times had graduates with, no, that can't work, that can't work anymore. And they just, if you feel that this can't work, it never will work. I push them aside and I get another student come in. I say, work on that project. He's putting them on the project that they know it can't work. And sure enough, it works. Because this student didn't go in there with the attitude that it can't work. And I say, if you think it can't work, it will not work. If you believe this thing can work, you can drive this thing to success. Unless you're doing something that's a violation of thermodynamics, this thing might work. And we give this thing a try. And, and, and so this striving with men, they don't back up. They don't back up. We got the, there's the CEO of one of my companies. He just doesn't give up. In a negotiation, he just does not give up. He doesn't back down. I mean, he keeps going and going. And I'm like, I hate to be on the other side of his negotiation because he just wears me out. But I love the way he negotiates on behalf of the company. You know, he just, he's persistent. And I'm like, these people don't know what they're getting into by starting a negotiation with the CEO. And I just leave the room because I, I just know this is going to go on a long time. This guy's not going to back down. He says, you have learned how to strive with men. When you learn how to strive, it is something that you, you're successful with. You're, you're in a workplace. There's a lot you have to do if you want to better that workplace. There's a lot you have to do if you want to accomplish something in the workplace. You don't give up. You continue to work these issues. You continue to work this. And there are these successes. I remember I was talking to this one professor and he said, yeah, I tried that. I couldn't get it to work. Mm, never could get it to work. I'm thinking, I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be around somebody who gets defeated and just walks away like this. I want to be around somebody who just says, yeah, we, we beat on that thing, we beat on it, and it worked. We made the thing work. And you will be surrounded by naysayers. This happens all the time. You'll be surrounded by naysayers who say, that can't work. And I've come in my life to the point when I see other scientists tell me that's a bad idea, that can't work, I am all the more excited. That means it can. And, and uh, I get all the more excited. I've seen this over and over again. I can just list for you the projects in my group where I saw this happen. I had a colleague of mine at Yale. When we st started making these nano cars, he called me and he said, he said, um, uh, you know, I heard you're making something called nanocars. If I were you, I would let that project quietly slip away because you'd be violating at least one law of thermodynamics. And so I wrote back to him. I said, well, what is the, the one law that I'll be violating and the other law that I might be violating because I'm violating at least one? And there's only three, you know. And, and, uh, and, and so he never responded. 
You know, I never got a response from him, which is another sign he didn't really know what he was talking about. And so, you know, we succeeded. We succeeded. That's what we did. This striving with man, don't let this thing go. He is striving. He strove with his, his, his father-in-law Laban, who was a crook, a cheater, and a liar, and he won. He's about to be confronted with Esau, and he's going to win. This is why God spoke well of him, not just for striving with God and winning, but striving also with man. You see this thing through. There are things in your life that you see through. And I will say it again, in your marriage, in your marriage, there will be times where these things are not so sweet. Things are not going very well. And people of the world around you will just be saying, oh, just, you know, you shouldn't have to live unhappy. Just make the thing work. Just, just get rid of it. And I urge you, strive with man. Strive. You have to strive with men. You have to do this. You have to strive with men. Men are hard to get along with. They really are. I am so glad I don't have to get along with myself. I mean, Shireen has to get along with me. I don't know how she has the patience to put up with me. I can be, I mean, I can just change my mind in an instant. <laughs> you know, just a minute ago you were saying this, and now you're saying this. And, and that just kind of goes with the territory. With being a man, she's put up with so much. I look at her sometimes and say, you have done so much. How can you put up with me? And, and uh, you have to strive with men. You do this and, and you see this thing through. And he praised him for it. He said, I'm going to name you Israel, which means one who strives with God. One who, one who learns how to strive. And you prevailed. You look at Israel today. You look at the nation of Israel, what they have put up with. All the people around them. You got, you got 200 million people right around them want to see them just pushed right into the Mediterranean. There, there's, there's, uh, there's only 7 million people in that whole country. 7 million Jews in that country and they just want to... And they just continue the fight. They continue the fight. So learn how to do this in life. Then Jacob said in verse 29, said to him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So he asked Jacob his name. Jacob told him. And he gave him a new name. He says, and what's your name? He says, why are you asking me my name? Well, you asked me my name. I told you, how's that? And uh, he blessed him there. You know, there, there, there's uh, in, uh, in, in the book of, of Judges, it, it, it talks about the father of Samson, Manoah, who, who uh, asked the angel of the Lord, which is again another pre-incarnate uh, showing of, of, of Christ. He says, uh, um, he asked the name. And he told Manoah, he says, why do you ask me my name? For it is wonderful. So in, in that point, at that point, he described his name as being wonderful. But at this point, he told him all he needed to know. He told him what he needed to know. God tells us what we need to know. As much as we need to know, he tells us. He didn't have to know his name, but he did bless him there. The thing that Jacob wanted is he wanted the blessing. So remember, he had a dislocated hip. And he's still fighting a dislocated hip. It's not easy to continue in a fight in a wrestling match when your hip gets dislocated, but he's still doing it. He thought he could just touch him in the hip and be done with this guy. And then he got his blessing. He got what he wanted. He learned how to strive with God and with man. And then he says in verse 30, so Jacob named the place Peniel, Peniel who, who says, uh, um, that, who, 
who talks talking about this this uh, this face of God, Peniel, for he said, "I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved." And this is actually not the first instance of this. The first instance of this is with Hagar, an Egyptian slave, in chapter sixteen of Genesis. She said, "I've seen God, and I have lived." His first appearance in that way, where they they said, "I've seen God's face," was to an Egyptian woman slave. If you think that the Bible is chauvinistic, you've not read the Bible. You've really not. You've just heard some idiot talk about something that they don't know. You read the Bible, you see it's just the opposite. The first person who sees is a is an Egyptian woman. So we're talking somebody from North Africa. A slave woman is the first one that he appears to. This is another appearance where he says, I see the face of God I've seen the face of God, and yet my life has been preserved. So he named the place Peniel. And now the sun rose just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was <clears throat> limping on his thigh. So he had named it Peniel, the face of God. Over time, it had been given, the name changed a li- little bit to Penuel. And so that means the writer of this is writing this at some later point in time where he said he named it Peniel, that is now the city of Penuel, the town of Penuel, not even a city, just a little town, which is a little dot by that Jabbok River. And, uh, <clears throat> and so uh, uh, then he says, and, my, and, and I've lived, and he says, now the sun rose up and he crossed over Penuel and he was limping on his thigh, which means his thigh was still dislocated. Some think his thigh was dislocated for the rest of his life, that he always limped that he always showed that he had had that wrestling match with God, that there was that remnant there from that striving with God. And a lot of times there's a remnant. I mean, you strive with something and, you know, there's a wound there and there's something that you carry of that, but it can become like a, uh, you know, like a badge of honor. You know, I, 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 you know, like when I was growing up, the, the World War II guys, you know, they, they had, you know, shrapnel in them, and it, you know, I got this in 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 in, in WW2. You know, they would talk about this. All those guys are, are gone now, but they would talk about about this. This this is the, this is his badge of honor, is his limping, on this hip, and he was limping on his thigh. He was limping, and he says, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, uh, which is on the socket of the thigh. That's not actually in, in, uh, in kosher food. That is not in the law of Moses. So in that day, when this was written, in that day, it says, it says uh, therefore to this day, which means that this was penned, it was communicated orally, some later date it was penned, it was penned by Moses, it says to this day they don't eat it. But then God did not translate that into Mosaic law for the children of Israel to do because it's not done to the, not done anymore, but it just shows us it tracks time, in the way that this is written the Bible tracks time. It is a beautiful document that tells us this. But what I want you to remember is I want you to remember this, that we take the lower position as believers. We take the lower position. The other person may be there in pride. We take the lower position. And we do everything we can to try to bring resolution, to try to bring reconciliation. Do whatever we can to try to bring reconciliation. 
And sometimes that can be done by bringing a gift. Don't think a gift can't work. It worked in this case. It may well work. You give somebody a gift and you disarm them, especially if it's a thoughtful gift. If you think about you know, this gift and you give them something that's thoughtful, you may well disarm them and change a whole situation. And then remember, there is an enormous closeness to God that we can have through Jesus Christ, so much so that it's like wrestling with your children. I used to long to get home from the lab. And, and uh, uh, you know, in those days, we didn't wear lab coats. We just, you know, just all my chemical-covered clothes. I didn't even worry about this. I had two little girls. I, you know, in those days, no, nobody got hurt by it in those days. In these days, I'd be a bad father for not changing my clothes and taking a shower before I wrestled with my girls. But somehow they, they grew up and they survived. And, and, uh, but I used to long to get home and wrestle with my two little girls. I wanted to do that. And you say, well, didn't you do it with your boys later on? Not as much, because I had two older girls that I had to bring to all these things, so I didn't have time for the, for the other two that came along. Those of you who have multiple kids realize that. You know, with the earlier ones, you used to get all this time with them, and with the, later on, you, you don't get as much time with, with, with the kids because you got other, you're scattered in too many ways. But that was my closest time. I longed for that. With Jesus, it's the same thing. He longs for the relationship with you. He longs to be with you. He longs for the closeness. He longs for the touch. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the richness that's there. The richness that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray, I pray for those here who do not know you, that they would come to know you even this day, even this day, that they would come to know the closeness of Jesus Christ, how close you are to us, Lord God, the closeness of Jesus Christ, that they would come to know you. And Father, for those here who know you, I pray, Lord, that all the more they would enjoy times in your presence as your word says, times of refreshing which come from the presence of the Lord. Father, I pray that they'd learn to be refreshed by meeting with Jesus. And Lord, I pray that they'd learn how to strive with you to pray, to pray, to pray something through. Day after day, bringing it before you. Father, I thank you particularly for women who can just pray for years and years and years without letting up. Father, Continue to raise up those prayer warriors, I pray. And Father, I pray that you would cause those here also to remember this word, that in their businesses, in their careers, that they would learn to strive with men, that they would learn to take hold of a situation in their careers and continue to work at it and continue to push these things. Father, may your grace abound, your grace abound upon, upon them. Lord, let us learn from you and your word. You are so good to teach us. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. And I offer this up to you, my Lord Jesus. Amen.